Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Wait, what are we doing now? A podcast about football. It is Thursday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Podcast. With me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Hello. Hello. Uh, Chris Hennage is here as well. I'm only here so I don't get fined. Hey, aren't we all? Uh, and, of course, uh, welcome back to Nico Morales. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Exciting news, Nico, in the world of the Front 3 is that you are no longer uh, a super sub, as it were, but you are now officially a fully-fledged member of the starting 11, starting 5, I guess, of the front three. So, congratulations, welcome on board. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm very happy to be a, a part of the group now, officially, I guess, and uh, hopefully hopefully, I'll repay that faith. Yeah, so there you go, guys. Nico is a full-time uh, member of the front three now. Uh, it had to be done. It was a no-brainer given the performances you were putting in, Nico, in recent weeks. You know, you are making a push for that starting spot, uh, so we couldn't really ignore that in the end. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are happy with this, given the reviews that are coming in, given the comments that are coming in. So, uh, guys, do go and follow Nico over on Twitter. Nico underscore O Morales, I believe. That is the... Is that That's the it. You got it. Guys, go and follow him there. Go and send him your congratulations. But, yeah, you're going to be hearing a lot more of Nico on the front three. So, uh, Nico, welcome aboard. Uh, but we've got so much to get into today, guys. We've got to crack on. We've got the UCL roundup and review we're going to be talking to journalist chris williams about carlo ancelotti who today it was confirmed has been sacked by bayern munich and of course we've also got the weekend preview in association with family coming up so much to get through let's talk the champions league though first off uh, let's start with chelsea nico because we've been getting a little bit of criticism uh, for not talking about chelsea in recent weeks quite a few tweets coming in um, people not happy that we've not been discussing Antonio Conte's side. So we'll begin with them. A, a fantastic win for them. I believe they're the first team to beat Atletico Madrid in their new stadium. Uh, it was a last gasp win in the end. Were you impressed with what you saw from uh, from Antonio Conte's side? Yeah, really impressed with what I saw because it wasn't a game where, you know, they enacted their typical game plan where, you know, they sort of sat back or made the game really open and tried to hit him on the counterattack and maybe use Aiden Hazard in a very uh, unidimensional way. They dominated possession. And although, you know, they didn't necessarily dominate the chances in the first half, they dominated the chances in the second half. And that, that really is what came to matter. And although 
people might look at this as a really lucky win considering they got the winner in the last final kick of the game, the absolute last kick. Um, it was one that was deserved. You know, I think their expected goals for was around 2.4 and Atletico's was only really 0.6. And I think part of that is down to this introduction of a midfield that I think we've all been waiting for from Chelsea. They used N'Golo Kante, Bakioko, and Cesc Fabregas. And I think a lot of people, including myself, would have imagined that Kante and Bakioko midfield would uh, would bring about a maybe even more a counterattacking Chelsea as before because Bakio is very good at carrying the ball. Uh, Conte can win the ball in, in places that the opposition doesn't want to lose it. But using those three midfielders together allowed Chelsea to have the creativity uh, between the relationship of Alvaro Morata and, and, and Cesc Fabregas that maybe they enjoyed um, a few years ago with Diego Costa. Um, and, and those players as well. But then they also were allowed to dominate the ball and snuff out any chance of an Atletico counterattack through the uh, intelligence and, and hardworking, I guess, style of both Bakioko and N'Golo Kante. So I think it was a really impressive performance. I think Victor Moses did well as well. Um, and it was a it was sort of a, a nice game to return to uh, for Aiden Hazard. So I was really impressed with their, their win over Atletico. And Honestly, really surprised that Atletico were, were that bad, sort of. Um, they rarely uh, registered a shot on target, and they didn't have much going for them. So I think it was a comprehensive win from Antonio Conte and one that shows maybe a little bit of evolution considering they dominated the possession. Mm, certainly an impressive win. Interesting tactically, as Nico's pointing out there, Chris. Uh, do you think Diego Simeone got this one wrong? A little bit, yeah. I think I think there was, at the same time, just an element of Chelsea having more quality across the field. I mean, the first, I think, 30, 35 minutes, it was pretty much all Chelsea. Um, and I think for that reason, the, the penalty was kind of against the run of play. Um, the thing I like about Chelsea as a team at the minute is uh, they seem to have a lot of balance. So you look at Morata and uh, Bacchai, they seem to be working together, even though they're not always playing together. And I think that points to, to some degree why... Um, Conte wanted to get rid of Costa in the first place, which is, is something I wrote about for, for Yahoo this week. And, and yeah, I, th- I think I think Atletico are a, a curious side for me. Um, there's part of me just feels as if maybe Simeone hung on a little bit too long. I think the fact they're getting Costa back is is going to be very big for them. Obviously, you can't play till January, which is a, a bit of a, a kick in the teeth. Um, but at the same time, it's something they knew when they, they signed him. Um I just yeah, I, I wasn't that impressed with them. I I, I expect to quite a bit more happen from from the kind of brief uh, snippets I've been able to catch in in La Liga this season. Let's talk about Liverpool, Lawrence. Um, a one all draw in the end at Spartak yeah. Moscow. Um, yeah. What do you make of this game? I mean, we talk a lot about their defence, of course, in recent weeks. But what about their attack? A lot of criticism directed at perceived wastefulness. By uh, by Liverpool's forwards. Yeah, I mean, it would be, it would be I think it would be lazy journalism to call it wasteful um, because I don't think that there were enough clear-cut chances to say. Well, I mean, there, there was a, there was a sort of an open goal, but the shot was a cross goal, um, and it was at pace, so you can sort of understand that. I think I think to call Liverpool wasteful would sort of be lazy journalism. Not that there are too many lazy journalists out there. Um, it's definitely frustrating, I think, from a Liverpool fans' perspective, uh, that they 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 dominated the game in so many different aspects. Not only in terms of uh, possession, but also in terms of chances, also in terms of shots. 
Um, and also it seemed overall just, just in terms of dominating the other team, CSK didn't really look like they were up to the same par as Liverpool um, in terms of physicality and looked very surprised by the way that Liverpool played. I think Klopp should be pleased with the way that they played. But again, like I said, there's a criticism of the attack. The criticism I would level is um, maybe not the same criticism that I think uh, some of the other journalists might, some journalists might level. It would be, yes, there were chances uh, that, that Liverpool missed. I don't think Liverpool's attack is creating enough clear-cut chances or enough chances that Liverpool 100% have to put away. Mm. Um, and it, it, there's a lot of lovely freestyle, a lot of broad artistry. Uh, strokes going into that but I think uh, broadly it would be better if they created more clear cut chances and they're not doing that right now Do you think, well here's a question from uh, Albin the, Alb- Albin the Albino uh, on Twitter at Fifty Shades of Hendo, Lovely he's guy. saying Great. do Liverpool need to sign a more clinical striker in order to challenge for the league and go far in the Champions League, I know you're talking there about the lack of clear cut chances but do you think you know, we're talking about how good Morata is, how good Lukaku is, how good Kane is for some of these top English clubs, Liverpool seem to lack that I think their last, well, their top goal scorer last season yeah. was Coutinho I think on 12 or 13 yeah. Um, yeah. do you think that is an issue for I mean, Liverpool? I see your point, I see I think that's a great point. It, it would definitely be a fantastic addition to the Liverpool team, um, you know, because the, the the clear difference between this and Klopp's previous iterations of his sides is a player like Lewandowski, um, someone who seems dominant up front, um, not only to be someone who can make space for the other players, but also put away enough chances himself. Over the past week, Klopp has sort of gone into the details of saying, well, you know, I didn't really consider... Uh, selling storage because I think he's such a fantastic player that was never really on the plans. I think um, he would have considered it. I think Liverpool, even if Klopp didn't, would definitely have considered it and would have considered offers. Um, uh, and, I, you know, I, we've spoken at length with Nico on this podcast as well about what Sturridge brings to the team. And the fact is, it's really, it has to be Sturridge on his best day uh, in great form. And that's not always what Liverpool need. The fact is, they have Mane, Salah, uh, and Firmino, or whoever you want to rotate in and out, maybe put Slanky, maybe put Sturridge there. There should be enough goals amongst those guys, um, and that's why they don't have one of those recognised strikers. And at the same time, I, you know, I just I think Liverpool didn't go in for any of those guys over the summer. It's disappointing as a as a fan, but um, mm. at the same time, you know, they don't have them. And I think Klopp's plan is not to have one recognised striker. I think it's to have you know Mar- yeah, Marnie no. is a striker, you could say Salah is as well. Yeah, no, if I can just add to that, I think I think Lawrence makes a really good point there with um, sort of the distribution of goals across the team because Liverpool was, I think, one of the only teams in Europe that I think had uh, five or six players on their team that scored above 10 goals. Um, but I guess what I w- my question for Lawrence would be that, uh, you know, we've consistently seen Liverpool, from an analytics perspective, average sort of above 2.1 to 2.5 expected goals. And we've seen, you know, players or teams score three or four goals in a, in a match with those kind of ratings. Uh, what do you feel is sort of the, the, the issue, I guess, within the attack? Why, why are they creating so many decent chances but not necessarily finishing them? I, I think that's a really decent question. I'm I know Liverpool finish. I think they finished this game with a high expected goals again. Um, I think it's it, expected goals doesn't take the pace of um, the shots uh, into or the pace of the cross into um, account. Um, sometimes it's in a sort of a counter attack scenario, so it's a fairly sort of hurried attack. 
Liverpool definitely could have made more of the chances that they had and should have won the game. But then I think they need more clear-cut chances in the game. And expected goals doesn't always indicate the build-up play, those sort of things. Uh, they're, they're more incapable of putting the chances away. I, again, I don't think it's wasteful. I don't think it's the right word. Um, it just doesn't seem to hit the nail on the head. It, it's... It's more about um, Liverpool creating better chances, and expected goals might indicate part of that. But I don't think it. I don't think it shows the full story. I, like you said, they should have scored more, but they're not wasteful. Hmm. Uh, let's talk your team, Nico. Manchester City, uh, another Champions League win for them against the stubborn Shakhtar side at home. Uh, are you impressed with this one? Yeah, I was impressed with the performance. Um, like I said earlier. Uh, you know, I think the the real takeaway from this match was the way in which we use the left side of the formation. Uh, it's difficult to replace Benjamin Mendy because of the way that Guardiola wants to use him as a player. He's so dynamic, and I think the offensive style that that we sort of strive for with how Benjamin Mendy comes forward is was sort of illuminated during the the Liverpool game. You know, there was a ton of space behind him, but that wasn't necessarily his fault. It was how Guardiola was positioning him. And so without a player like him that can get get forward so well and put in a type of cross that that isn't available from really any other player um, within the team is a really difficult thing to replace. And so with that, I think he came up with this Fabian Delph. Delph is sort of a, a placeholder that comes inside and, and in conjunction with David Silva's interior position, it isolates Leroy Sané, which is a really good thing because obviously he's a really uh, gifted dribbler and one that can create a lot off the dribble, especially when he's isolated. Um, and I think it was, a, as a, it was a fantastic performance from the team as a whole. You saw sort of the, the two free eights in David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne really gel um, and do things to Shakhtar that they did not want. You know, they had an incredibly high line to try to uh, make their pressing more successful and all Manchester City really did from there was get the ball to, to David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne and they, uh, Sergio Aguero was able to make some brilliant runs in behind the defense um, and kind of spring that high offside line really well. So as a solution to to that against maybe some of the lesser teams, not that Shakhtar is is... A, is you know, lacks in a lot of quality. But I think what we're all looking forward towards is sort of the Chelsea game. And and I really worry as to what our solution would be um, in that sort of game, considering I think it'll be a lot more open of a game. It'll be a lot more dynamic in terms of uh, how the how the play sort of go, goes back and forth. And and a lot of people kind of talking about how, Dani- you know, Danilo is, is really the easy fix. And, oh, yeah, just, you know, put him in there. But <clears throat> he's not really a left-sided player at all. Um, in the first game of the season against Brighton, he could, you know, barely stand on his left foot, let alone put in put in crosses. So, if anything, he was just sort of a placeholder, holding the width and and sort of passing backwards mainly. So, he, he's a really gifted player, and I think he's done incredibly well slotting in at right center back and and right back. Um, but I think on the left hand side, it's it's really unfortunate that that Mendy is out for for this big of a game. But I'm excited to see how how Guardiola sort of copes with that. A lot of praise as well uh, for Fernandinho and Fabian Delph in the City midfield. Uh, Fernandinho first, Nico. Uh, somewhat of an unsung hero in this side, would you say? Yeah, I think he's been an unsung hero for quite a few years now. The the season that we won the the title um, a few years back, it was that con- it was sort of the the relationship that he had built with Yaya Toure that allowed City to be so great going forward, and and a team that really kind of revolved around the brilliance of Yaya Toure was what won us the title. 
Um, and so he, he's been a utility player and, an, and a really intelligent guy that I think has been underrated for a number of years now. He slotted in at right back last season. He does incredible you know, positioning work in the midfield, and even though he's often left alone. Um, and what we're seeing now really from Guardiola is more using David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne as they've never been used before in their entire careers. You know, Before, I think they were solely used as offensive players. Kevin De Bruyne is sort of a, an inside forward, and David Silva is more of a uh, a central attacking mid kind of player, um, not really asked to do much defensive work, but these players are asked to be two-way midfielders now, and and at times they can still sort of desert him in, in the center of midfield, and he he still tends to cope with that really well. So he might not have the marketability or the look of someone like Xabi Alonso um, because he, he played sort of a similar role at Bayern Munich, but he does have the quality and he does have everything that you need to sort of fill a, a similar role to some extent. What about Fabian Delph? He's earned himself an England call-up today. Uh, do you think he's uh, deserving of that? Yeah, I mean, it, it speaks to his quality and sort of his understanding of a game that he can slot in at an unfamiliar position so incredibly well. And like I said before, you know, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a conjunction of his ability and the tactics that made this sort of thing work. But I mean, he, he's a, he's a gifted player and, and a lot of people sort of make fun of the fact that, you know, it's Fabian Delph. And I, I was popping a few jokes um, about it yesterday on Twitter, but at the same time, you know, he, he's a utility guy and he's an incredibly intelligent player. And I think that that speaks to sort of his professionalism that, you know, he doesn't care if he's playing at midfield or right wing or left back. He's going to play where he can get minutes and where he can, he can help the team. And and in that, I think he's sort of repaying the, the large fee that City kind of paid for him a few years ago that people questioned. And then he suffered some some big injuries uh, and wasn't able to, to play much in the past couple of years. But he's certainly fulfilling his his greatest potential or at least some sort of potential uh, under Guardiola by, by slotting in wherever he asks him to. Uh, elsewhere, we also saw in Group A, Manchester United Frash. CSKA Moscow. Uh, we're not going to talk about it too much. We've been told we talk about Manchester United too much on the front three. Uh, Statman Dave, of course, not here this week as well. He said, go and check out his channel, guys. If you want analysis of this game, you can check it out there. Um, we'll try not to focus on Manchester United too much. Uh, we also saw in Group H, Tottenham Hotspur beating Apoel Nicosia 3-0. Chris, uh, Harry Kane's pretty good at football, isn't he? I mean, he's scored in four UEFA Champions League games in a row now. Stephen Gerrard, the only other Englishman to have achieved that. Rich Jones writes in on Twitter saying, is Harry Kane world class? Uh, is water wet, Chris? You know, it's obvious now, isn't it? <laughs> he's um, he's definitely producing it at a world class level. I think I think that's fair to say. Um, the the interesting thing is Nico and I were, were talking in the WhatsApp group last night about Maratta and, and whether he could maintain his conversion rate in the Premier League, which is, I think it's, is it 30, it's 30%, isn't it, Nico? Yeah, it's somewhere around there, which is just so crazy. It's, so it's so that's quite high. Keynes, by comparison, I think he's only ten percent um, of of shots converted into goals. So th- there is, and I know you'll hate me for saying this, Adam. There is that dreaded argument of, you know, would his numbers be insanely sort of Ronaldo level high if he was in a team like Manchester United or somewhere where the chances created or the Opportunities presented were better. Mm. At the he's, same he's never time, played to that level though, has he? Chris? Mm. Never played to that level of uh, manager of team. He's only, what, only played for a second tier side. What I was going to say at the same time is though that, that there could be part of the reason he's only got ten percent is his shot choices, like his shot location. Um, so 
I think it's something that needs a, a little bit more uh, depth applied to it and a little bit more studying. But I, th- I think, yeah, the, the notion that he's not world-class at this stage, not only because of the quantity of goals he scored, because, look, you have people like Andy Johnson who got something, say, like 18 goals one season and nine of them were penalties. It's, it's the variety of goals he scores at the same time. He, he can very easily find that from outside the box, headers, um, all sorts of different ways to score goals. And when you're you're looking at a striker and, and you know, I scouted Christian Ramirez in MLS quite heavily when he was um, just starting at Minnesota. And, and one of the things that's struck out to me about him is also applicable to Kane, which is, look, he might not be lightning fast or, or incredibly strong, but he still scores a wide variety of different types of goals. And when you have a forward like that, it makes it so much easier for the players behind him to to find success because they know they can put him into to different positions and it, there's a good chance that he'll score from them. He's uh, Gary Goals, mate. He is the Gary Goals of the Premier League. scores all types of goals. Uh, let me ask each of you this then. We've got Harry Kane. We've obviously got Alvaro Morata. We've obviously got Romelu Lukaku all firing on all cylinders in the Premier League. Obviously, none of them play for your clubs. I mean, out of those, Chris, which of those three would you rather have at Newcastle in this dream scenario I've just cooked up? So I have a choice between, sorry, Murata Kane and... Big Lukaku. Oh, wow. Uh, as it stands right now, I would probably say, knowing Benitez, I would take Murata because mm. I think he's the more industrious of the three and will we'll maybe link up better. Cause Interesting. I, I, I think, yeah, I think him. I mean, all three would be amazing. We, unfortunately, we don't have a striker that can score regularly, but yeah. um, it would be lovely to dream for a minute. Who would you, uh, who would you take, Lawrence? Uh, probably Murata as well, actually. I, I like Lukaku. I think he'd be a wow. great, fantastic, I think he'd be a fantastic uh, player up front for um, Liverpool or anyone. With his history with Everton and Manchester United, it just makes it too big. So Murata, yeah. I also think Murata would fit really well into a club team. Um, I think he's, he's very intelligent, not that Lukaku isn't. Um, and also, I think Harry Kane, there's something about him being a London boy. I just don't, I'd rather have Morata. It's not like you're in need of a, a goal scorer, Nico, at Manchester City, but uh, if you're going to take any of the three. Imagine. The three were Kane, Lukaku, and, and Morata, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, probably, I, I would probably say uh, Harry Kane. I think Harry Kane is, is an immensely gifted footballer that... Not only in his sort of off-ball work does he excel in in you know pressing actions and, and his physicality, but I mean he's he's the way that he finishes chances and the way that he kind of shoots the ball. He he consistently tries to aim for the corners um, and has a knack for hitting them, obviously. So I would probably take Kane. I think Morata is brilliant, and his off-ball movement has been you know shown to be excellent. This consistent move that he's sort of making behind um, sort of the right side, the blind side of the right-sided center back. Um, whether it be in a back three or a back four, is something that's really dangerous in conjunction with the passing ability of Fabregas or one of their three central defenders. But I'd probably take Kane at, at, at Man City. Nico, I like your style. Um, elsewhere in Group H... Mate, that means he's leaving Spurs, moron. Come on. No, he's not. It's just a hypothetical scenario. Which one would you pick? No, no, he's no, picked he's the Spurs. Spurs now, right, I'm not um, buying. I'm moving who on. Would you go who would you want? Who would you want at Spurs to partner Harry Kane? Uh, well, out of Morata and to partner to partner Harry Kane or to oh. replace Harry Kane? Yeah, yeah. No, to partner Harry Kane. Oh. Ah, I wonder. Yeah, I think him and uh, Lukaku would be a very imposing strike force, oh, but um, mate, I'm not sure they so can't come so at each other. Um, 
I should say as well, elsewhere so in group... very kind about each other. Oh, yeah, saying. I'm sure. In group H as well, we saw uh, Madrid beat Dortmund 3-1. Uh, Ronaldo, of course, celebrating his 400th game for the club. 411 goals, I believe is the record now, which is uh, pretty crazy considering... It's uh, almost a goal a game. That's almost yeah. a goal again. Well, just over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's almost 100... 411. 411 goals yeah. in 400 games. That's incredible. So yeah, it's not bad, is it? Because it wasn't... Oh, God. Like I said, Nico, that, that's almost a goal again. Almost. Um, but yeah, he's almost 100 goals ahead now of Raul, of course, who, who reached his record in something like 700, 750 games at Real Madrid. You know, uh, was thought he'd never be surpassed. And yeah, here we are, Cristiano Ronaldo having done so in uh, yeah almost half the game. So pretty incredible stuff. Uh, Dortmund, though, Nico, uh, they're obviously top of the Bundesliga. They've only conceded one in their first six league games. They're now conceded six in two in the Champions League. Uh, the Dortmund manager, Peter Bosz, coming in for some criticism for his tactical approach in Europe? Yeah, I think it's a vastly different approach that he chooses uh, in Europe because he wants to try things out. And I can't blame him for that. But at the same time, I mean, they play a suicidally high line against Spurs, which I guess is excusable to some extent because not that you don't expect that type of quality from Spurs, but you don't necessarily always expect them to break on you like they did in that game. I think they had a they had a fantastic match, but at the same time, given the the analytics and some of the things that I looked at as well as looking at the actual game, um, I would say that Spurs were a little bit lucky considering that there was a clearly onside goal uh, not counted from Aubameyang. That would have been 2-2, and who knows how, to, how the match would have uh, gone from there. But I think against Real, it was completely the wrong game plan. I mean, they played, I think it was, you know, Bale and, and Ronaldo up front, and against a, a really high back three that isn't that quick anyways. I mean, that's that's pretty much suicide. So I can understand what Peter Bosch is doing, and he wants to get the best out of his team and see what he can do against the top opponents. And really, you, you have to sort of enact a different game plan when it comes to the Real Madrids and when it comes to some of these higher sides. But to be fair to him, I, I don't think it's a representation of him as a coach necessarily. I think it's more, like I said, experimentation. In the Bundesliga, they've been fantastic. They've been dominating possession. They've been breaking opponents down you know, ruthlessly um, and scoring a ton of goals. So I think maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say pragmatism because defensive football doesn't necessarily equate to pragmatism, but I would say maybe a little bit more dynamic of an, of an approach and a defensive of an approach. Um, against some of these big dogs instead of trying to break everyone down through the possession um, that they do in the Bundesliga would be a better approach. But I, I, can't, I can't knock him for trying. Mm. Uh, before we wrap up our UCL chat, we do have to mention Group B, which is shaping up nicely. Celtic, of course, with a uh, fantastic win over Anderlecht. Freena win there for Brendan Rodgers' side. Only the club's second ever away win in the Champions League. It's their first win in 16 European games, so a big win for them. Uh, and of course, PSG beating Bayern Munich. Chris, uh, the front three great podcast living up to their billing. Uh, Neymar, of course, assisting Alves for the opener. He scored the third as well. Cavani got himself the second. Mbappe, though, the man who stole the show. Yeah, I, th I think it would be quite funny if Neymar made all that fuss to move to another club just to find that he's now got to sit behind Mbappe. Yeah, Mbappe wins um, the Ballon d'Or. That's what's going to happen. Terms of, in terms of star power. Um, but yeah, actually, I thought as as poor as Bayern were, I thought PSG were, were very good in terms of uh, 
their ability to to transition quickly um, and and with devastating effect, the defense I would say held up fairly well. I don't know how much it was really tested at the same time, but I think yeah, you're you're as as much as Bayern seem in disarray, you have to if you're a PSG fan look at this and say okay, this is a good early sign for us in terms of actually trying to go and win this competition because it would have been very easy to fluff your lines and mess things up. Mm. I mean, they have sort of moved now, Lawrence, into that position almost as the favourites for this competition, haven't they? I literally just spat my tea out. Sorry, what? You <laughs> Was it when I said that PSG are favourites for the competition? You just had to spit out your drink. It was yeah. such a wild you assertion. You're having a laugh. No, come on. Uh, obviously, I think they've had some very dominant performances and I think... Uh, they've, they've impressed in those performances. But, uh, and obviously one of the best things is that finally Neymar and Cavani can hug publicly. Yeah, it's, um, it's all good now. It's all roses. Uh, well, to me, you said that uh, Mbappe stole the show. No, a hug. Way more important. Um, now, uh, when, when you say that, favourites, I mean, surely Real Madrid are favourites. Because uh, I think this team haven't been put up to a proper test mm. yet. That's fair. Um, That's fair. I, I know, obviously, Real Madrid have been challenging themselves, but I, I still feel like they'll find their stride. Um, it, it, there, there's an almost inevitable feeling about uh, PSG, Real Madrid, at some point this season in the Champions League. Mm. Um, in the same way, there is an inevitable feeling about the Barcelona uh, side. I think if they come up against either of those, they'll probably win against. They'll lose against Real Madrid. And I think they would. I still think Barcelona will probably just edge it against PSG as well. Mm. Uh, talk to me a bit about Bayern, Nico, because obviously <laughs> we're about to speak to Chris Williams uh, now about Ancelotti, who's obviously been sacked today in the aftermath of this match. It was Bayern Munich's biggest Champions League group game defeat in 21 years. Uh, Ancelotti benched Ribery, Robin and Hummels. I mean, he got this game wrong, didn't he? I wouldn't go that far, actually. I think they have, they're like I said before, they, they kind of are playing Ancelotti football, and that at times can be very open. They were crossing the ball a lot, and Joshua Kimmich was, was making some very good crosses and asking a lot sort of a P, of the PSG defenders. It just didn't happen to come off. And when you do cross the ball, it can make you, you, you know, your team very open to, to counterattacking situations. And when you have the likes of Neymar, when you have the likes of Mbappe and some of these other players, that can be, you know, a, a lethal thing. So as much as it was a bad performance for Bayern Munich, and I'm not excusing for them for that, I think it was one that sort of went against the grain. It doesn't necessarily mean that... I, I think it's sort of ridiculous when people say, oh, you know, you lost this one game, so that means you should be sacked as manager. I think there are other factors that went into that. Carl's, Karl Heinz Rummenigge after the game spoke about how what we saw on the pitch was not Bayern Munich. And so they obviously have a, have a very high expectation, as they should, um, for you know the type of performances that they want to see. But in terms of PSG coming away with this one completely dominant, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But at the same time, I don't think Carlo Ancelotti's style of football fits Bayern Munich. I also wonder if it's his style of management as well. I mean, you go from the regimented um, but we but we've heard so, we've heard so much we've heard so much positive about his his relationship between him and the players yeah i mean i'm, I'm not um i'm not necessarily talking about the relationship but more um that if you go from what pep had which most people know there's a reason that pep has that and it is also because of the overarching control that he has of uh, all, all the facets of the club and and how uh, you know, he can incubate the players and how he, you know, they use his doctors and all those sort of things. To Carlo, 
being a lot more hands off, but having a, obviously you have a great relationship with the players. You know, it's the same as a teacher in school. It's not really the same as teacher in school, but I can use that example anyway. Um, where you know you've got a great relationship with the teacher, but you don't necessarily learn their subject. Um, and I think a lot of people around Munich may say that the, the very big shift in approach was part of the issue, um, and that the, the players who were so used to the previous Guardiola regime maybe didn't um, didn't, didn't do so well when Carlo came along. Well, let's get into it then with journalist Chris Williams to talk about the sacking of Carlo Ancelotti. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Lottie. So we're joined now by Chris Williams, Associate Editor uh, for the Bundesliga on the football grad and freelance journalist. Chris, thanks so much for joining us on the front three. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you here. We're here, of course, to talk about the big news today. Carlo Ancelotti being sacked by Bayern Munich. Uh, it's taken a lot of people by surprise. Uh, are you as surprised as most of us are? Do you know, I, I am a little surprised. Uh, I think the writing's been on the wall for a while. Um, I didn't... I said uh, we, we do... a uh, a German podcast, Bundesliga podcast, uh, and I said I didn't think he'd last till Christmas. Um, and one of the other guys who does it said Bayern tend to get rid of their coaches round about match day 23, 24, so towards the end of the season. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is um, quite out of left field. I'd like to, I'm surprised, but I'm not shocked, if that makes sense. I mean... <sighs> it's a difficult one because obviously it was a, a very disappointing defeat for Bayern in the Champions League this week against PSG, one of the sort of favourites for the competition, as it were. Uh, Ancelotti being accused of getting this game wrong, you know, benching some of the big stars, which resulted in the end in the biggest Champions League group game defeat for Bayern in 21 years. Yeah, and I'd, um, I was asked by ESPN to do a preview and I said that um, Bayern should have enough to cause a bit of a, a problem and they'd probably scrape a 2-2 draw. But once I saw... The lineup, oh wow, yeah, um, I was shocked. It was, I mean, obviously, uh, there's no Neuer because of the injury, but the fact that he didn't go with Hummels and he chose to go with Sula, who is a good player, but is he ready for this sort of, you know, lion's den straight in in Paris? Potentially not, especially if you look on that, that side didn't have, um, you know, Robin um, or Ribery in it. Uh, and also Kingsley Coman, who's played a little bit of a bit part under Ancelotti, but, you know, he could go there. It seemed, it'd probably be bad to say it was a second string Bayern side because, you know, uh, Lewandowski was in there, Vidal was in there, Muller was in there, um, Alaba was in there, but it wasn't a full strength um, Bayern side, which I think if you're going to go up against someone like PSG, who've spent the sort of money they have, 
you should be going out with your strongest 11. And uh, this is the probably the um, straw that broke the camel's back. In that sense, then, uh, like you say, this was the, the last straw. Uh, where is this coming from? Where's this uh, sort of direction coming from in terms of the hierarchy? Because in the league, you know, we're hearing it's been a, a less than convincing start to the season. In the end, though, they are third. They've only lost one and drawn one. Is it more about the performances, specifically this one in the Champions League, that idea that maybe they, they can't match some of these bigger teams? Yeah, as we'll all know, and anyone that's watched anything or even seen anything in the Bundesliga will know, you know, that buying a record champions, five seasons on the bounce. So they are used to being at the top or probably minimum of second. Um, but they haven't won a Champions League for a few seasons since they beat Dortmund at Wembley. Um, you know, a few years ago now. And that's something that they've been looking towards. They thought maybe they'd get it under Pep, but unfortunately it didn't happen. And I think it was just the discord of the disconnect that went on um, was so bad. And they have had such a ropey start. Their preseason was horrendous. Uh, if you look back, they were beaten um, over in China. They were made to look like schoolboys by Liverpool in their own tournament. That's the first time that Bayern Munich had not got to the final of the Audi Cup, which is their prestigious pre-season tournament. So that raised a few eyebrows. Then there was a 2-0 defeat to Hoffenheim against you know Julian Nagelsmann, who was hotly tipped to take that job at some point. I think it's just been a very quick, um, a very quick burst of poor results. And, and Ancelotti seems to have lost the dressing room as well. If you look at some of the quotes that came out last night, especially from um, Robert and Ribery. I think Bayern have acted very quickly um, not to draw it on because now it's recoverable. If somebody comes in, um, you know they've got match days left in the group stages and they've also got lots of match days left in a Bundesliga. I mean, it's interesting you talk about the discontent with the players there, given that Ancelotti is renowned as a fantastic man-manager. Uh, clearly, there were some problems in the Bayern dressing room with him. Uh, do you think part of that stems from the fact that his style clashes so much with what came before. You know, Ancelotti, a very laid-back, uh, sort of hands-off manager. Pep Guardiola, who came before him, of course, famously intense in both a tactical and, and, and personal approach. Obviously, these are very two different uh, approaches to football. Uh, the Bayern players are reportedly unimpressed with Ancelotti's approach coming off the back of Guardiola's, which took many of these players to another level. I mean, it may be. If you look, they brought Ancelotti in um, because Pep was probably too much of a control freak. Um, so they went a little bit more chilled out. And, and now it looks like that probably wasn't the right thing to do. So they'll probably look at um, the manager being a little bit more hands-on, whoever they bring in, or the head coach, you should say. I just think it's some of his decisions. Uh, I think the um, episode with Thomas Muller, where he's been left out and almost ostracised, has been a massive mistake. Muller is a born and bred Bavarian um, and Bayern Munich like Bavarian players in their side. Um, so I think the way he sort of ostracised Muller, and Muller was potentially pushing for a move as well in the summer, um, but it didn't come off. Um, he did, Bayern said, we want to keep you, we want to keep you. And the word on the street was that before Muller goes, Ancelotti will go. Um, and I think it's just been, you know, like a Swiss cheese model with all the holes aligning and eventually there being that straight direct through I think this has happened to Ancelotti where all the problems have just aligned at once and, mm. and he's, you know, walked out. Well, he's been sacked, hasn't he? Yes. Uh, yeah, it does seem to be quite a quick spiral, as you mentioned there, uh, of sort of elements going wrong. I mean, what do you think is next for Bayern Munich? I mean, you mentioned Julian Nagelsmann there. Is he going to come in now and take over from Ancelotti? Where does this leave the club going forward? 
I wouldn't think um, Julian Nagelsmann will come in now. I, that would shock me. Um, he's on record at saying that you know Bayern Munich is somewhere he would like to be. It's where his wife wants to live, which you know is always crucial in any player or management's decision. Um, I just don't think Nagelsmann's ready. Let's not forget he's only 30, so he is younger than some of the stars that Bayern have got. Yeah. And whilst he's an exceptionally um, good tactician, I think this will probably come a little bit too early for him. So they may look to someone like Thomas Tuchel to maybe take over the reins for two to three seasons until Nagelsmann's ready. But then would Thomas Tuchel be happy to be you know, just a bit part manager? And then also there was rumblings um, in a German press this afternoon, just as you know, we started to record this, that um, said that once Willy Sanyol came in as Ancelotti's assistant, the writing was sort of on the wall then. You know, um, Willy Sanyol is uh, an ex-Bayern player. He's won the Bundesliga with them. So German clubs tend to look to players in the past or from within their academy structure to promote. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Sanyol just keeps it for maybe a month or two. And if he does well, he's given till the end of the season and then Bayern reassess then. I don't think they'll make any hasty decision. Mm. What do you think Bayern's direction is post Guardiola, of course, and now post Ancelotti? Um, of course, a few years ago, they won that famous treble with Jupp Henkers at the helm, didn't win the European Cup under Guardiola. Do you think they can still compete with some of the other bigger teams in Europe who perhaps can spend more, uh, you know, pay these crazy wages to other players? Do you think Bayern can still compete in Europe with the best, with the elite? Well, Bayern can. They are one of the most cash, uh, cash richest clubs in the world. And, and by that, I mean, if you look at Manchester City or if you look at Chelsea, they have to go to their owners to get the money. Bayern Munich are minted. They've got millions in the bank. They just need to go to their bank account to buy. The problem is, likes of Uli Holness have said that they will not spend £100 million on a player. They think it's ridiculous. Um, so I don't think we're going to see them wanting to splash the cash but then they shouldn't because throughout their whole um, you know, championship winning sides of the past and you can look back 20 30 years for this they've always had very good local guys to come through and they're also an aging squad uh, robin rivery are old muller's getting there um vidal's you know he's not a young 20 year old which is why they went and got the likes of sula and rudy from hoffenheim and, and kingsley coleman and i think this is another thing that may have um put an axe in Ancelotti's back is he's not prepared to work with youth players. He likes to work with established names, come in um, and steer them to a championship or to a Champions League. He's not well known for bringing through development players. Um, and, you know, you just see some of the guys that have gone on loan or have been moved out from Bayern um, because he's not you know, going to work with them. He wants to work with more established stars. Finally, then, I mean, where does this leave Carlo Ancelotti? Uh, First job he's ever been sacked from, of course. Um, he's in that elite club with one, three European Cups. But curiously, only four league titles in two decades as a manager. I mean, he's only 58 now, I think. So it's not like he's, uh, we'd assume he's going to retire. Do you think he's still got life in him, that he can still move on to another club and find success? I'm unsure, personally. Unless he can find somewhere in Europe, he can walk into an established team. I think he will struggle. I think... Aging is probably the wrong word, but uh, tactically, he, he's not a developer. So I don't know very these days many clubs who have 11 world-class starters and are looking for a manager. I can probably name Manchester City would be one of them. Um, even Juventus have got a bit of a youth element. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Carlo Ancelotti go to China um, for the next couple of years, where he'll be offered a hell of a lot of money 
to um, to coach, um, and he should do quite well in in that area because you know it's an emerging league and there's lots of older, more established South American and European players making their way over there. Mm, interesting stuff, Chris, uh, journalist and Bundesliga associate editor for Football Grad. Thanks so much for joining us on the front free. Where can the listeners find more of you and your work? Um, well, if they want to follow me on social media, they can find me on Twitter uh, at Chris seventy eight Williams, uh, and also. I'm part of the at Football Grad Live account, and you can find all our um, links on both of those uh, Twitter handles. Okay, part three. Uh, thanks very much to Chris Williams there for coming on the front three. A pleasure to have him on. Do go and follow him on Twitter. Interesting stuff, though, isn't it, Chris? I mean, what do you make of this whole Ancelotti situation? I think it's it's a situation that's been symptomatic of his career of late in so much as it's lasted on or around two seasons or two years you look at Chelsea PSG Real Madrid it was kind of like these two-year bursts where in theory he would achieve something now I mean you can can see you know he won the Bundesliga uh, he won the Super Cup both years so he has achieved something at at Bayern but maybe not what they wanted which I, I presume was a Champions League and I have to also believe at the same time that the performance against PSG which, to be honest, it was. It was pretty poor, I must admit. Um, I don't think they got some decisions that could have gone their way, but overall it was poor. I think they looked at that and said, well, okay, if he can't beat PSG, then there's no chance that he's going to be able to uh, take us to the final and even win the competition. So they've decided to, to jettison now. I would also add that they haven't been that convincing in the Bundesliga. I watched them against Wolfsburg. Um, at the weekend and they gave up a, a two-goal lead I think for the first time since like 2007 maybe it was a ridiculously long time um, and and yeah again in that game they weren't convincing and I think it's too easy to say it's all just the absence of Manuel Neuer but at the same time it plays an influence I acknowledge but yeah I think overall he's just he's just not convinced from from I would say minute one and until this point I mean, as we touched on with Chris there, Nico, Julian Nagsman seems to be uh, the front runner. I mean, Gary Goals writes it on Twitter saying, is Nagsman the obvious choice? Do you have any other suggestions who could take over, who could uh, come in for Ancelotti? I don't necessarily think I have any other great suggestions other than Nagelsmann, but to, to speak to how, you know, the, the dynamic between maybe Nagelsmann and, and Ancelotti, I think Nagelsmann is kind of the perfect manager for Bayern because it's sort of the it works in the same way that I think Nagelsmann is a perfect manager for Bayern in the same way that Ancelotti wasn't a very good manager uh, for Bayern in the first place because I think with the evolution of the style of football um, in the Bundesliga over the past couple of years you know how Jurgen Klopp sort of pushed that forward with and sort of gave the league a, a sort of identity with um, his style of pressing you need a manager that as cliche as it as it sounds you know kind of knows that league and I think the, the requisite for having a specific style of football or at least having a basis for a st- specific style of football that one can build off of um, is sort of all built around pressing. And I think Ancelotti's more free-flowing, player-oriented you know, attacking style of football was something that was always more suited for you know the, the La Liga or or possibly even the Premier League or elsewhere, but in Germany they they play they play things a little bit differently. It's a more uh, defensively 
minded league, I think, to some extent in terms of their tactics. Like I said, there's a there's a large element of pressing that every team is is sort of uh, implementing at, at some stage in time if they're going to be successful. Um, so I, I, I just I don't think it was the right move in terms of the style. Um, and also to complement that, I don't think the two being the manager and the board necessarily went together because I've, as I've spoken about before, the you know Bayern Munich have to compete with the rest of the European elite on a shoestring budget. On a shoestring budget, they can't uh, spend Man City money. They can't spend Real Madrid money, and they require the manager to make you know their their squad and sort of their philosophy of football with the player with largely the players that are already there. And I think Ancelotti really wasn't able to do that. And like I said, he he obviously had trouble transitioning his style of football to the Bundesliga. Mm, interesting stuff, uh, guys. Let's move on to the weekend preview uh, in association with Fan League. As you all know by now, Fan League is the new football prediction app that lets you take on your mates to predict the outcome of the weekend's top English football matches. Uh, we've been doing it every week uh, for the last couple of weeks now. Uh, I think our best result was 10 out of 13 uh, results corrected predictably. Last week we got 9 out of 10. Uh, 9 out of 13, not bad. It's not a bad score. Um, last week we got QPR Burton wrong. We got Swansea Watford wrong. Uh, and we also got Brighton Newcastle wrong as well, as well as the Sheffield Derby. So uh, we've got to do better this week, boys. Remember, if you want to take us on, uh, you can join the Front Free League on Fan League. There's only 100 people who can join us and take us on. So do get clicking on the link in the description of this podcast. Let's get into it then. We've got some big championship matches as well as some big Premier League games to predict. Uh, let's start off with the Premier League games. Uh, first up, West Ham Swansea. Uh, West Ham, of course, find themselves in the bottom three. Chris, uh, you have to say if Slavin Bilic uh, loses this game, he probably is going to be toast now. But uh, are we going for a home win here against Paul Clemens' side? There's a certain Carlo Ancelotti that's now free. Ah, uh, there, see you again. <clears throat> That would be peak West Ham oh to throw God. stupid money at Carlo Ancelotti and then watch it again spectacularly fail. Um, did you say West Ham are at home on this one? Sorry. They are indeed, yes. That's what I'm thinking. <sighs> Maybe a home win, but they haven't been particularly convincing. No, but that's the thing. The, 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 the Olympic Stadium hasn't been much of a home for them. Mm. Um, and the thing with Swansea is like they're just making a lot of stupid decisions. Like Both these teams are making really stupid decisions in their own half. Like, you look at Watford's winner with Richarlison, and then you look at, uh, was it the, which goal was it where Carroll basically passed it to the player and he went and scored? Was it, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Ericsson's, right? Where he just passes it to him and then he scores. Uh, then uh, Kane scores, even. I'm going to say, I feel like 2-2 draw, just because I can't pick who's more inept at this precise moment. Okay. Um, draw. It's the greatest to respect to any fans that, that listen. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll go for a we'll go for a draw. We can always hedge for a win later on. Um, West Brom Watford also this weekend, uh, three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Uh, what do you make of this one, Nico? Obviously, Watford been hugely impressive so far this season to find themselves in the top six, um, but away at West Brom, uh, surely is this going to be a draw? I love the intensity in which you said the top six, um, but I, I think I think Watford will come away winners on this one. I think they play far. Uh, better football than West Brom do at the current moment. So I'd have to back Marco Silva yet again on this one. Okay, I'll, I'll agree with that. We've got 32% of um, family users going for a, a Watford win as well. So we'll go for an away win. Uh, we've also got Stoke Southampton coming up 
Um, of course, they, they pushed Manchester United close last weekend. Chris, uh, could they get a win here away at Stoke, though? Mm. <laughs> no, is that what you say? Ah, uh, yeah, I'm gonna say no. I think Stoke take this one because the 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 problem they had against Chelsea. I mean, not just the fact that it's Chelsea, they had no defenders pretty much or no central defenders. I think it was Bruno Martins, Indian Eric Peters were were cobbled together in a back three they'd never played with each other before. The fact that Zuma comes back in, I think, helps them uh, immeasurably. Because now they've got like a base with which to to build around and hold. And Zuma is such a man mountain of a defender at times that yeah, I'm still amazed that Newcastle managed to score two goals with him on the field. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think Stoke get back to winning ways. Okay, we'll go for Stoke. Uh, what about Manchester United, Crystal Palace, Nico? Ninety nine percent of fan league users are going for a Manchester United win here. Uh, not hard to see why. Yeah. Yeah, and I would I would definitely agree with the ninety nine percent Crystal Palace. Um, I mean, they didn't show much invention against Manchester City. I know they hit the post, but I think that was pretty much purely down to the individual brilliance of Ruben Loftus Cheek. Um, for as much as maybe people want to defend, uh, sorry, his name is escaping me, Roy Hodgson at the current moment. I, I think he, you know, football's moved on from his style a little bit, and I don't think he'll. I don't think it will be able to save Crystal Palace from relegation. I think they'll have a pretty piss-poor season, similar to the one Aston Villa had a few seasons ago. So I don't think this result is going to be any different. Uh, we'll go for Manchester United there. Then. Uh, what about Bournemouth-Leicester, Chris? Obviously, Bournemouth find themselves 19th. Uh, hasn't been a great start to the season for them. Leicester, on the other hand, I mean, they've been playing well. They just can't seem to get a win themselves. Though. They're only on four points, only just above the relegation zone. Um, I'm tempted to say an away win for Leicester here. Would you agree? Yeah, because um, I watched Bournemouth-Brighton and I thought part of the reason that Brighton won was because Bournemouth didn't try to win, really. They, once they scored uh, Brighton, they were just like, OK, you know, let's let's sit and hold, which is a very Chris Hutton thing to do. And that really uh, bit them on the backside. Then the, the Everton game, again, I, I just don't think Bournemouth look that solid as a team this season. It's They, they slightly remind me of... Uh, Birmingham with Scott Dan and, and Roger Johnson in that second season. I know it's not their second season in the in the Premier League, but there was a significant drop off with Birmingham, and it it was very easy to just attribute it to uh, a reduced work effort or work ethic, excuse me. But I do think they've become really loose and really sloppy at the back. Like even someone like Nathan Ake, who you would imagine would be a lot more of a, a stabilising presence, just isn't. And so yeah, I I do think. Leicester could take this because Leicester are very well suited to um, to playing on the counter and doing those kind of things and, and putting Vardy on the shoulder. So, yeah, mm. I, I could definitely see them doing that. Leicester win it is. Uh, away win there. Uh, we come to the big one now, Nico. Uh, on Saturday afternoon, uh, we've got Chelsea against Manchester City. Of course, Manchester City, we've been speaking about this free scoring of late, but up against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, this promises to be a fascinating match, I'd say, tactically. Yeah, I think so. And this is, as a Manchester City fan, it's one that makes me really nervous, specifically with Benjamin Mendy being out. Obviously, we don't know how long he'll be out for. We don't know if it's a if he has ligament damage or not. He's He's been sent off to Pep Guardiola's specialist at, um, at Barcelona to be taken a look at. But I think the difficulty sort of with replacing Benjamin Mendy, um, specifically the way that Pep Guardiola uses him, is that you really can't unless you hit the transfer market. And even then, it's pretty difficult because he wants to use him as sort of a... 
a crossing winger and not really as a defensive entity. And so that gives us, but, but since he is so athletic, you know, he, he can get back. And so that gives the team sort of a, a dynamic approach to any opponent that they're going to face. And I think the way that they use Fabian Delft uh, on Tuesday against Shakhtar Donetsk was pretty good. He was obviously sort of an inverted fullback and, and allowed Leroy Sané to isolate um, his defender on the on sort of the left-hand side, and that gave them tons of success, and that's sort of the the solution. But at the same time, in a game where it's going to be more up and down, I don't necessarily think that Fabian Delph will be able to cope um, with some of the attacking options that Chelsea have. And and what really worries me specifically um, is their use of Alvaro Morata. I mean, he's he's been amazing. I think his off-ball movement is fantastic. And for a city defense, and specifically central defenders, that can often be isolated by a an approach to a game that that puts them sort of in a difficult position. John Stones or Nicholas Aramendi going up one-on-one versus Alvaro Morata is not something that I want to see. So I think I might actually hedge for, or not hedge for, but 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 predict a, a Chelsea win, maybe Ooh. 2-1. Um, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that. Would you, Chris? I think we can always hedge for the draw as well, but hey, I think Chelsea are going to be, be stubborn at home under Conte. Yeah, they, I mean, you just need to look at the, the game against Atletico to Atletico to see how pragmatic they can be, um, which feels like an easy word to use in the context of Chelsea. It's going to be a fantastic game, let's put it that way, and I'm glad it's the five o'clock. Um, I'm going to say... I'm, oh, I'm going to say a draw, though. Okay, we'll, we'll go for Chelsea win then. We'll hedge for a draw, because, um, of course, we can hedge. Um, yeah. Let's move on to Sunday then. We've got Arsenal-Brighton. Arsenal seem to have shrugged off their bad form at the start of the season. They haven't conceded since they lost to Liverpool. Um, another home win for them against Brighton, Chris? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, yeah. the, the problem this Brighton side have got, I mean, they're, they're missing now Toma Hemed, who's, who's banned for three games um, for the stamp that he refuses to acknowledge on DeAndre Edlin. Um which really annoys me that you won't just say, I did a bad thing, I'm sorry. Um, but they just don't have, I would say, quality in attack, first and foremost, with like Knockout, Murray, etc. I mean, this Kier, though, is, is still to to show himself, so I, I don't really want to put him in that group. But also they don't have, I would say, much in t- much attacking flexibility. They need so they need space to play in Brighton if they want to be successful. They're really not a pass it through the lines type or, or or quick interchanges, and no team is giving them that. So when it comes down to like individual quality, and you put Knockout up against most Premier League fullbacks, it, he's just got nothing about him that's really good enough. His technique's not good enough. He's not lightning quick, um, and it's yeah, it's a shame because I really like Chris Hutton as a bloke. He's a nice guy and everything, but. I think this Brighton team will struggle to score goals pretty much all season. Um, and I think because of that, games like this will, will be a really tough one for them because Arsenal will just find holes. We'll agree once again with the 99% of Fanley users who are predicting a home win there then. Um, Everton-Burnley next up, also on Sunday. Uh, interesting one, Nico. I'm thinking either a draw, it feels inevitably it's going to be a draw, or Umar Nias scores a hat-trick and Everton win. These are the two no scenarios. These, these are the two scenarios, yeah. right? <laughs> um, yeah, Omar Nias hat trick or or Everton lose four 0 to Burnley on the counter attack. Uh, <laughs> um, I think 
you know, Burnley seemed to be pretty poor away from home for whatever reason. Um, there was actually some pretty interesting data that I was looking at in terms of like the testosterone levels uh, away and home uh, in players like saliva. That's how they measure, measured that. Um, so it's some pretty interesting data. Wait, what? I, I, yeah, it was, you know, there's the, in depth, there's this I like, like yeah, there's this like phenomena that like I've never personally understood. Like, why should a team perform differently if they're home or away? You know, it's the same pitch, but apparently, um, your body works differently in different situations and different influencing factors. That's and so, the really way that they they tried to measure that is by um, putting special mouth guards in players' mouths, and uh, there's actually more testosterone that you have, I think, in a home match, <laughs> um, which influences your uh, activity. But, anyways, um, <laughs> I think uh, Burnley. That's a good diversion. Or, that was a good little uh, aside there. I like that. You like that? Um, but I think uh, Everton kind of need this result. They've been battered as of lately by whoever uh, they they seem to come up against. So due to the fact that they're at home and due to the fact that Burnley seem to be pretty bad away from home, I'll, I'll say that they, they win this one. Uh, okay, we'll go for an Everton win, but to keep me happy, we'll, we'll hedge for a draw as well. Uh, finally, in the Premier League on Sunday, Chris, we've got Newcastle against Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool... Proven hard to predict, I think it's fair to say, this season. Um, where do you think the points are going in this one, Chris? Um, I mean, I predicted Newcastle win last time. I was looked rather stupid. And so, in theory, I could go the opposite way and predict a Newcastle loss and then look equally stupid. Um, <laughs> it's a catch-22. You're right in so much as Liverpool's unpredictable because they're going to want to attack and be very aggressive, which they've done the last few times they've come to to Newcastle and it's not usually worked out for them they've kind of huffed and puffed and then tied themselves out uh, I'm going to say draw draw okay yeah uh, we'll go for a draw then I'll hedge it with a Liverpool a draw I'll go for a Liverpool uh, away win as well I'll hedge it with that so we, we've got ourselves I would have thought that Liverpool destroy Newcastle 5-0 yeah. mm, I'm thinking wow. this is the week okay. they get their act together uh, briefly and championship. That's, that's games. the one thing I wouldn't have gone for a five no one because I don't think Rafa has. I don't think he has those kind of performances in him. Like if they go two three down, he'll he'll shut up shop so quick. Rafa will make it so yeah. He'll put like ten mm. behind the ball and won't even bother. That's fair. That's fair. We'll hedge for Liverpool win uh, either way. Um, briefly and championship games. We've got Cardiff against Derby. Uh, we're going to go for a home win on that one for Cardiff, uh, who are looking very strong this season. Uh, same for Wolves who have impressed. Uh, they're away at Burton this weekend. We're going to go for a Wolves away win. Villa Bolton. Uh, we'll go with Steve Bruce's side. We'll go for a home win there. And finally, Reading against Norwich. That one's a little bit harder to uh, to predict. Reading can't seem to get it together. Let's go for a, let's go for a Norwich. Let's go for an away win for Norwich there. Um, so, guys, those are our Fan League predictions. Remember, you can join us in the Front Free League on Fan League and take us on. See if you can do better than us. We're doing pretty well, as I said at the start there. Uh, nine out of 13 last week. Remember, if you get 10 out of 13 in Fan League, you win. If you get 13 out of 13, you win some huge cash prizes. So don't miss a chance to get involved. Click on the link in the description of this podcast to join us on Fan League. That brings an end to the Thursday podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Until Monday, when we'll be back with the weekend review, as always, Chris, where can the listeners find you? Uh, at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Oh, I love this stuff. Uh, Nico? They can find me at Nico underscore Omoralis. I'll be doing something uh, yet again for The Ringer on Napoli, so also go there at theringer.com. Oh, look forward to that. Guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. You can follow Lawrence at Lozcast. And don't remember, don't forget, 
to follow Chris as well. Uh, thanks so much for him to come on for that Ancelotti chat. Uh, the link to his Twitter will be in the description of this podcast as well. Until Monday, guys, enjoy the weekend's football. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.